Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. I am joined by the average Matthew Hickey and the very handsome David Lighting. Gentlemen, how are we? That was that was meaner than the first intro that you didn't hear because you had your technical issues. I said less handsome, but equally uh, as friendly extreme. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He called you friendly, at least. How, how dare you reduce David to his looks? Which yeah, is something I've half never dozen, done. Not a three dozen has. times on the show. I've been reduced to less, so it's okay. Never. I, you know, in all of our time on this podcast, we still have not gotten him to like put on a t-shirt and post for like Instagram or anything. Yeah. So I really think we've missed some opportunities here. Um, I can uh, work out a fee schedule and whatnot, and then take thirty percent and give seventy percent to David. All right, that's how America works, right? I will Starting do bid is uh, sixty-eight cents. And sorry, David, you don't get one hundred percent of. All right, sorry, David, that's you don't right. get seventy percent of that. Um, we are uh, going to talk about qualifying today. Um, I'm sure everybody has thoughts about that. Uh, we got the biggest race of the year and our favorite race of the year coming up as well. And all three of us are going to be in town, so that's new. Um, all five of us will be yeah. around at some capacity. Uh, we'll talk about what our plans are and whatnot later on in the episode here. So I just want to get to two non-qualifying slash direct race day impactful news stories that came up in the last week. The first one is that Jay Fry has said that an arrow screen for 2024 is coming that is going to be lighter and better in, I'm sure, many engineering and scientific ways that I didn't bother to read about. But since there has been kind of this increasing criticism about how heavy the arrow screen is, that sounds like good news, question mark? Yeah, I'm pretty stoked for it. Um, like you said, Matt, all the the talk from the different engineers and stuff about how heavy it is. You've heard some of the drivers talk about how it's been hard to get used to. So hopefully it, it helps combat that. I'm not fully convinced that it's going to be the weight that was quoted in the racer article, I think is the one that I read it in. Just because we always find a way of adding a few extra pounds here and there as testing goes along. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But um It'll be good because it'll be fully integrated with the car at that point, too. So that probably is drastically going to help the weight because it'll probably be supported again in some scientific way that I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm hoping and thinking that that might yeah, be playing science. a part. Into so, it. so far, we've realized we are not scientific on this podcast. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's it's good to see. Obviously, we'll see more when we get renderings and all that fun stuff in a year and change and whenever we get to that point but in jay fry we trust hey there and welcome to the joy of paddle podcast hosted by me minter dial a veteran of the paddle tennis world and sponsored by paddle 1969 whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado just beginning or have never even heard of paddle or padel as it's called in North America. This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. 
With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Yeah, the only point that I will add that wasn't stated is that it kind of just seems like every bit of news that's been announced recently about any sort of chassis or engine is like, oh, it'll come eventually. And now it's like, hero screen, oh, it'll come eventually. And it's like, you know, I'd love to see these like... I happen like i'd love to say like hey aero screens 2024 we know there's supply chain issues but we have two years to kind of figure it out and account for it that's what's going to be released oh and also the engine's going to be released here and oh also the chassis is going to be like you know it's going to get more and more frustrating if these kind of announcements happen and then they get pushed i would bet that at the 500 next year you'll see a new car rendering and with aero screen on it that's when they announced. Can lighting and I come yeah, back? Yeah, you can. You, you, you can do whatever you want. You, you just let me know when. So speaking of things getting announced at the five hundred, uh, something popped up in my feed from when they announced the aero screen at the. I guess it was twenty nineteen at the five hundred during like car bear or something. I remember. I think like the aero screen oh, announcement came right out, well. and then I saw the pictures of uh, when Dixon uh-huh. tested it at Phoenix. And my God, I forgot how different it looks from what that initial test design looked like. And that first one, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty sweet. How the hell is that going to withstand any sort of impact? (laughs) And it turns out it couldn't. Yeah. Whoops. Because that was, yeah, that was the one without like a halo and it was a PPG just kind of. Screen, yeah. Whatever you call it. Screen. Um, Yeah, we've come a long ways. I'm sure yep. he's probably melting too. Yeah, but they did Phoenix. it like the twilight hours, I think. Oh, I still feel like a pretty big, kind of miserable. I bet how you know, probably not having too much fun in that. So yeah, we've come a long ways. Um, so that's good. Um, I lied. I had another one. Rossi says his announcement's coming next month for his team. Oh man. If it's Detroit, we're going to look like such idiots. Yeah. On this podcast. 
I hope not because I'm staying home Detroit weekend. Where are you, where are you Detroit weekend? Um, that's like one of my only weekends off between oh, okay. now and August. Fair enough. Something. Is there any? I mean, what weekend? In, I mean, Detroit makes sense because if he goes to a Chevy team, Chevy's based in Detroit. But is there any other weekend that makes sense? Well, if you did it at Road America, David, we can ask him fun and insightful questions that he would love to answer. He's not wrong. You can do that. I'll just sit back and laugh. <laughs> so, Rossi, big day. How did, How's the announcement? Are you excited? Yeah. It'll fun. be good. Like, cool. <laughs> uh, no, I actually love that he does that. I actually. He's like the Bill Belichick of IndyCar racing. <laughs> Except more well, snarky. you know, there are times in play, and I saw this discussion online. There's, there, there's, I saw this discussion online. There are times and places that a long answer is warranted, and there are times and places when you get asked a question that's complete bullshit, and you know, a simple yes, no, or two word answer suffices. And I think one of those moments is when your team once again kind of lets you down and sends you out for a qualifying run that you know is not going to be good enough. And you get come back to the pits and have to answer questions about it immediately. Like, you know what? I would probably be worse than what he said. And in, in my nope. estimation, I don't even think what he said was that bad. So, like, yeah, he was short, but, you know. Nope. Nope. Can you blame him? That, that, sorry, we already strayed into qualifying. That's coming up later. But um, the only other one I wanted to touch on before we recapped qualifying and go to the race is that our – Dear oh, Fred God. watch may have ended permanently. Uh, Fernando Alonso came out and said that he was very unsure about running future Indy 500s because of the way the aero screen has impacted how the car feels and how it races, etc., etc. Um, general thoughts. Are we sad that Fred watch may be coming to an end? Do we not care? Well, how we feel? I think that bubble kind of burst. Yeah. It's, disappointing because i would love to see him back over here but at the same time because that's his reason i 100 percent don't care about fred watch anymore yeah i think it's tough too because you can obviously from a racing standpoint engineering standpoint whatnot take a step back and be like yep the aero screen has definitely impacted racing to a degree but to lay the lack of passing we've seen at the Indy 500 recently all at the feet of the aero screen, I think is yeah. very unfair. Uh, I think the front wing element has a lot to play in that. I think kind of lack of downforce in certain areas, the trims that you can do. I think there's more than just the aero screen that has caused a little bit of the overtaking lull. And if anything, since the new chassis came out in 2018, overtaking has gotten better every year that we've gone to the speedway. So... I don't know if he just had a really terrible experience in 2020 with the race that he's just like, screw it, never coming back. But yeah, I think it's kind of a disappointing end to that saga if he really is never coming back because I just don't know if his opinion is as foundational as he's making it out. Well to said. Me. Yes, well said. Good job. Anything else before we get to <laughs> get to call? Thank you. Wait, you you're not. Tell me I'm it's stupid. okay. It's okay. Um, okay. 
Um, not like my, uh, well, I guess we can give our racing league update. Uh, I think we'll, we'll gloss over what happened to lighting. Uh, host wasn't there. Cody Bray like, didn't in win. In the words of the great uh, Alexander Rossi, another irrelevant evening <laughs> of Formula One Xbox racing for yours truly. Yeah, I think uh, lighting was uh, more bug and less windshield. Mike, I night. went. I sorry, um, I just needed yeah, to go tell ahead. Mike this. I gained seven positions in sector one on the first lap from the start. And that was about all the good that happened. That was all downhill after that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I won the your, race your without making a Twitter, single on track. Your Twitters. And I didn't start on pole. Isn't that crazy? Because I like, I was like thinking back. I'm like, wait a second. I never even DRS. I never opened my DRS once in the race. It was kind of sad. Cause we kept having cautions. And our first DRS chance was on lap 14. So I was like, what the hell? Anyways. So qualifying, uh, we had intermittent action on Saturday. Everybody got a guaranteed attempt. Uh, the only person who unfortunately did not make it out was Stefan Wilson. So he is the second driver in Indy 500 history to qualify with his. Yes, and I think he might be the first that whose car didn't make it out of the garage. Because we've had guys, you know, crash on their qualifying attempts and they get a zero average. Yeah, like Tagliani yeah. in 16. Yeah, like... But we Tagliani, were... Yeah. That's it, and, you know, you can't count, like, um, was 1911 to 1917 when it was, like, by postage. So we're, we're ignoring, you know, we're ignoring the years <laughs> when I was born. <laughs> hey, I just got out of the way with before you did. against yourself. I roasted host today in a manner that I can't talk about, yes. but I did call him old in several facets today, so that was fun. Um, so yeah, otherwise, uh, everybody got a guaranteed entry. There wasn't this wasn't without some drama on Saturday. Uh, Juan Montoya failed inspection or pre-race pre-qualifying inspection or whatever, so he lost his guaranteed spot and had to go like the back of the line or whatever. And then Marco Andretti's one and only run was kind of sort of disrupted by Takuma Sato, who, I don't know why, was still on the track when Marco was coming to turn four to take the green flag for his first okay, qualifying I lap. feel, no, uh, I disagree with that he was coming to the green. There's no way he was coming to the green. It had to be coming to the warm-up lap, which I know still throws you off. But if he was coming to the green, that means he would have passed Sato another time. Yeah, lighting's right. Is that what happened? Did so, well, no, sorry. you're so that's sorry. fine because Marco said it's when he was coming to green, and other people said he was coming to green. I'm not defending Sato by any means. That's what I took. I, t- I took it as what Marco said. So, but I it just, just it's not like he was going 217 through turn four on his, you know, coming to the green. Because by that point, he's probably just doing yeah. like what 180, which is still substantial, obviously. But like, no, and I know it throws you off, and it's run. really unsafe. It was really unsafe, but well, it's clueless. Like, how do you? How does it? It's fine if like Callum Eilat or David Malukas or somebody did that. You're talking a two-time Indy 500 yeah. winner messes that up. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, that was uh, no bueno. So 
Marco did say that Sato did apologize extensively afterwards about it. I know he probably feels bad, but like that's just absurd. Um, the other so you're, there was intermittent weather, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong on this one too. I think I tried to understand this correctly. Scott McLaughlin had a time that was good enough for roughly in the middle of 15, the field. Like yeah, and he was one behind or one and, ahead of Joseph when he went back out. Yeah. And so they went into the priority lane, which automatically withdraws your time. And they went out and set a run that was worse than previous because the conditions were definitely, the conditions had changed from when they wanted to go out to when they actually had to go out, which was no, at that like point it was hours later, maybe an hour, a little less, a little more. So it wasn't like three, it was minutes. at least 45 like minutes. Hour. Yeah. And and then so they go out and the conditions are not what they wanted and now he goes from 15th to 26th like that's i would say that's really unlucky if you ask me i don't know if they need to look at kind of making a change to that ruling because i know like he went to the line where you had to withdraw your time but like there's a difference between like oh hey we want to go out at noon because it's sunny and oh hey we want to go out at noon it's cloudy but now it's rain i am against changing that rule like you know it's just bad luck. Like that's Indianapolis for you. Sometimes that pays off and you look great. Other times you get kicked in the shins and you drop down 11 spots. But I mean, it is compl- like the, probably the happiest and yet most scared person was Joseph Newgarden, who was about to go out there when the next lightning delay came up and he did not have to qualify again. I would have been doing everything in my power if I was Joseph at that point to just have the slowest, like, out lap, warm up lap, just like barely pedaling it, just praying that, just hoping for uh, any sort of delay. Yeah, I mean, because you get like from when they give you the green light to go to when you leave the track, you get like a minute. I would have used 59 seconds, maybe stalled a couple times for giggles, pull a Cody Ware, and go from there. But. I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I have McLaughlin on my fantasy team, so I'm a little extra bitter, so I hope he can make his way up. So Rossi did not have the best of runs, and I will go out on a limb and say that it probably wasn't down to the driver on that one. Uh, so he's starting 20th, uh, one spot behind Callum Eilat, which everybody definitely predicted. So... What do we make of his like frustration and kind of Andretti as a whole only getting one car into the fast 12 with Grosjean? It's that team in a microcosm, man. I don't know. I've been saying it on and on. I don't know how you're going to start a successful F1 team if you can't get qualifying at Indy, right? I say that as if it's a very easy thing to do, but who knows if it was a Honda thing, it was an Andretti thing, the issues with Colton and Marco's engines screwing up. Rossi set up. I mean, I don't know. It's just a lot of like little things that I feel like you might not have direct control over, but it is a domino effect of all the other little things you do as a team. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we can blame Honda because obviously Ganassi had five of the top twelve and coin was in the top 15 with both cars so but man this was definitely 
Like usually you have one day where you're like, wow, the Andretti Armada put down a bunch of fast laps today or, you know, three or the four guys are in the top 15. Not this, not this past week. They were off pretty much from the get go. Yeah. And one of the things I had pointed out in the preview based on what we were seeing in practice is that I, my assumption was that you were going to be seeing a lot of kind of clumped together teams on the charts. I didn't necessarily think it came down to Honda and Chevy this year like it has in years past. And I think we pretty much got a pretty solid indication of that with the results we saw. Because like you said, five Ganassis up in the top 12, two Ed Carpenters in the top 12, two McLarens in the top 12. You had two coin cars relatively close to each other in 10th and 13th. Uh, I think Penske's kind of a wash given what happened with McLaughlin, but let's say McLaughlin doesn't requalify. You're looking at, you know, 11th, 15th, 16th, or something like that, 14, 15. You got Ferrucci and Karen pretty close to each other, not super far away. Three Ray Hall cars kind of all struggled in 20th or worse. Um, Both, well, Pagano. Uh, Pancho kind of kicked Elio's mm-hmm. ass. When's the last time 16th, Elio qualified so low? That's not. Uh, the year, oh, yeah. it was probably the 2017 when he almost won. I don't know where he started, but I know he did not qualify well. But he's he seemed to be the only Penske car that year that could cut through the field. You got the Ricardo Yunkos uh, cars all bunched up. cars in the last roll. Okay. I know. <laughs> I know. I was being facetious. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you caught that, Mike. Uh, Kirkwood, right next to Kellett, Montoya. I, don't I know. think his was kind of. I think if he would have got to. Uh, if he, yeah, if he would have got to run at his regular time, I don't think he would. I don't. He probably wouldn't have been top twelve, but I bet he would have been top twenty. Yeah, four wheels and an engine in the last row, so. Yeah, I bet Ray Hall's really happy there wasn't bumping. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Both Jack Harvey and Um, Mr. Four Wheels said that anytime it got windy, their cars became completely unpredictable. And they just could never figure it out. Yeah. The only time I really heard that in racing is when Williams was talking about that preseason testing last year (laughs) for F1. They're saying, like, hey, a gust of wind can really ruin our weekend. (laughs) It's like, Jesus. So. well, See, on the Ray Hall thing, me. I've been like a Graham Ray Hall stand for his whole career, but I have not been shy to say that I think Graham cannot set up a car for the life of him at the Speedway, specifically for qualifying. I feel like this is it's almost a half a dozen times we've seen this happen to this team, specifically when he's the lead driver. Like when their cars have been the best at the Speedway, it's when they have somebody else that's had a lot of success there. Like, Sato the last few years and I know that Graham and Sato drove very different cars or that's what they say um, but I feel like when he's the most experienced oval driver on the team there seems to be something amiss with the Ray Hall setups at the Speedway I don't disagree I think yeah the only thing I would say is that his car last year was really good, and I don't know how much of that came down to Yeah, and I, and I think I'm talking even more um, specifically qualifying, and I know we kind of see that everywhere, but it seems to happen even it, – it seems even more exaggerated here um, for whatever reason, and maybe that's because it's Indianapolis and everything is more exaggerated. I wonder what his best start at the 500 is. Probably, Probably when he was with oh. Newman Haas. Amazing. Yeah, was that 09? 
Or what year was about Kim that. Kardashian a sponsor? Is that 09? Or is that 20? That was 2010. Is that um, news with Sarah Fisher, right? Not for the oh, for the 500. He might have been with actually his dad in like the first time around. Wow, that's been so long. Um, I mean, I know that. Was yeah, he started like fourth in 2009. Anyway, continue. It doesn't mean Wait, it's he right. He says anyways too. Did you see that? What do you want me to say? Continue. Yeah. Carry on. Well, neither here nor there. Carry on. Are, no, you're supposed to say anyway. Anyway. Singular, which I disagree Hope. with, but whatever. Anyways, uh, oh, uh, the top twelve ended up being so we requalified the top twelve, and then of those twelve, the fastest six got to redo it again on Sunday. The final order for the top twelve was Johnson, Power, Sato, Grosjean, Rosenquist, Pato, Kanan, Erickson, Carpenter, Renus, Palo, and Dixon with his fifth Indy five hundred pole in his career. The fastest pole speed in Indy 500 history over a four-lap average. The fastest front row in Indy 500 history. Uh, so kind of a multi-breakdown portion here. Let's start with just the first part of this. Uh, any issues with the fact that the crazies of the world think that because the boost is raised that this is an illegitimate effort don't care one bit do we not care what do we think it's been it's it's not like this is a new thing this year you know we've had more than a few years to get used to this so i think we just have i don't see the issue no i don't see an issue either um i still think it's pretty exciting because like i kind of love the idea of the unknown when they do turn up the boost on friday uh, and no matter which way you slice it, the team's got to set up the car and the driver's got to have the balls to keep their foot in it. So I think it's pretty cool either way. Yeah, I don't care. It's it's fascinating. I mean, when he put it in a 234, four I mean, the, the his first run, I'm like, holy The crowd went God. wide. Every time there was like that, anything in the high special. 233s and, and 234s, like when Renus put down that 234.7, was that in practice on Friday? Or is that Saturday qualifying? I don't remember. Anyway, like the, everybody in there was on their feet. Yeah. So do we so know what? Do we know what attributed really to like the speeds being so much higher this year than years past? Was it just perfect conditions? Is it the teams have got these cars just so dialed in because they've had a few years to do it? I mean, Mike, what did you hear? So from what I asked, it was a combination of good conditions but not solely good conditions because there were times the track was hotter it was windier you know etc cetera, etc cetera. the conditions were all over the place all weekend and you know we are on year three of the aero screen era now so they pretty much understand what's going on plus the added aero bits that they can use like on the front part of the floor and the front wing and the rear wing, so there's a little bit extra that they can play with that I think they had last year, too. But I think it's just like a little bit of a combination of everything. So without the added weight of the aero screen, do we, where do we think these speeds would have been? Did anyone talk anything about that? Because that kind of like piqued my interest, too. 
I don't know how much it really slows the car down, but every you know at those speeds, I have to imagine you're not wrong. Helps. I don't know. I didn't hear anybody talk about that, but I'm I'm intrigued. It's definitely an in- yeah. I mean, it's very much a doesn't moot matter. Point. You know, we're never going back, but it just like curious if we would have hit these speeds without the aero screen sooner or or what. Anyways, anyway. I don't think I have a whole lot to add to that. Oh, uh, did God. you guys know that Lincoln's secretary, Kennedy's was named secretary was named Lincoln? Did you know German chocolate cake isn't named after Germany? This is the fact I got from Lighting. He texted German me chocolate this cake was actually uh, developed in Texas by a guy named like Scott German or something like that. I forget his first name. Last name German. All right. The more you know. Hey, everybody, host turns 75 in like 10 days. No. Oh, gee. Would you cut me some slack? All right. Um, second question is, this is now Scott Dixon's fifth Indy 500 pool, which is t- now standalone for second all-time in Indy 500 history. One behind Rick Mears. I mean, there's no question that he's – He's got to be considered one of the greatest Indy 500 qualifiers of all time. Would you say, is he approaching kind of like one of the greats of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, or how do we feel about I think that? absolutely, um, especially if he's able to get a second win. I think it's hands down you put him in the conversation of top five, top ten drivers at the Speedway all time. Um, between what he's done in qualifying, and realistically, you look at some of the races that he didn't win that he should have won, 2017 if he doesn't get collected by jay howard he's definitely running up front at the end of that race you don't think so yeah yes well yeah but it was also 37 laps in the race so i guess it's yeah like because that last portion of the stint for him that year was so poor that's like well was this going to be the rest of the race for him or was that just like a one-off that's fair so because it happened so early i guess like we don't know but there's also sorry 2020 doesn't go caution. Yeah, 2020, if it doesn't go caution. 2020, I think he beats sure. Sato, hands down. Look. I don't know how Sato ended up winning. And then last year, crazy. too, if he didn't have that fuel issue. Again, I know that was early, <laughs> but I just feel like. Yeah, that's another stint. And that's the whole thing with the Speedway. Know. There's a lot of what ifs, and there's so many things that play into it, and that's what makes winning it I so say. special and so difficult. So I guess it's easy to sit back and play the what if game. But I think if he gets a second win here. There was Oof. once upon a time. Well, there's once upon a time when I said that Michael Andretti was one of the best ever. Can't say that. It's like, well, the, what about the year he blew his engine with nine laps to go while he had a lap lead on the field? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, thank you. I was like, oh, so, do I not get a turn? I'll, I'll let host yeah, I mean, first. sorry. I think if he got his second win, it would definitely be top five, top seven Indy 500 drivers of all time. Right now, with five poles and one win, I'll say like top 15. I'm just, I'm not putting them in any particular order at the current moment, but he would definitely be in there. And I mean, if you have five poles alone, you're, you're very good at the Indianapolis motor speedway under pressure, which it takes to also win the race. So I think, you know, those qualifiers alone make him one of the best at the speedway. Yeah, I'd say for sure 
given the era that we're in, I'd say he's the best qualifier in the Indy 500 history. However, I definitely don't consider him to be maybe top 15 yet until he gets number two because it's really hard to kind of look at Rick Mears who won six poles and converted three of them into wins. And you have Scott Dixon who had five poles and has only been able to convert one of them. And I am as impressed as anybody with his 234 pole speed and respect the hell out of him for what he's able to do each year qualifying at the Indianapolis 500. However, does it matter if it doesn't get converted into a win? Like, are we going to be talking about the 234 speed if he finishes ninth and has one or two good stints nope. on race day, but then fades back? Like, are we going to care? Does it matter? Because the next year we're going to come, he's probably going to lay down the gauntlet again if he's still with Ganassi, get pull, and it's just like we're going to be back square one. Like, does it matter? Because, like, right now, I, I wouldn't bet money on Dixon winning. There's so many things Even, that go wrong in a race, no matter where you start, that it's just so – I mean, like David said last year with this fuel issue because the caution timing or whatever, it's like there's so many things that can go wrong. That Even Dixon said, listen, this I, is I step on. one. This is not the end game. This is not what's going to get me the result of the month that I want. Right. So I think he would agree. So – I know we kind of played this hypothetical last year after Elio won number four of like whose career would you rather have at this point, Dixon or Elio? But this is kind of a different hypothetical and not even really a hypothetical. Who do you think is the better driver at Indianapolis, Scott Dixon or Tony Kanaan? Head-to-head in their prime at Indy, who would you take? Kanaan because... yeah. I would agree. He's more of a risk taker when you need him to be. I was kind of thinking the same thing. But when you like put their career side by side, they both have one win. Dixon's got more polls. But I would probably take Kanan nine out of ten times. Yeah. I would agree with that. Great. Good. So so the last question I kinda of had about the Sunday format is what did you guys think of the Sunday format? Did you like the idea of the fast 12 and then requalifying the fastest six from the fast 12? Did you not care for it? it in, in the middle, in the middle matter, where are you guys at? It was exciting, but I think it was exciting because we were seeing big speeds laid down and there was a lot of you know, which, you know, who's who, where is the cutoff going to be with five Ganassi cars and, you know, so I think that added to the excitement, whether it was, you know, the final six or the final nine. But I like I don't think it detracted from anything. I think there was a lot of casual fans there who hadn't gone before and they were like, oh, you know, this looks like other race qualifying. I heard that from a few people. So, you know, not the not the worst idea ever. I, I don't think it was like a home run or like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. But it was, it was fine. Matt, I think you and I shared the same opinion up front. When they first announced this format, I was so against it. I thought it was just really gimmicky. And I've never liked the idea of making the drivers do so many runs when it's consistently talked about as one of the most difficult things you do in all of motorsports. It's like, the risk versus reward, like what's really the reward of having these drivers 
do the hardest four laps they'll do all season three times, uh, you know, for, for next to no reason. Um, I will say it turned out a little bit better than I expected. Um, but yeah, kind of in the middle, I think if they adjusted it where the qualifying points were weighted a little bit more heavily, like they used to be, I think I'd be a bigger fan of it because I mean, there's as much effort that goes into this and much as much attention that goes on this as any race weekend. Um, so I think that'd be one way to make it a little bit better. And I know this is the the financial cop out, but also if the purse for qualifying was a little bit increased, but that obviously requires more sponsorship money. Um, I just don't think the reward is still worth the risk that these cars have to, the drivers, teams and cars have to go through. Here's a thought. If we actually did have bumping, why don't we do the same sort of like cooling strategies that they implemented? I know you can't do a parade lap in the middle of qualifying, obviously, but like some of the cooling strategies that they implemented for getting the fast six engines cooled down enough to go back on a run right away. Why can't like, you know, it's because there's guys that do runs for bump day and they like give it one shot and it's like, well, shoot, now we don't have enough time to cool the engine before the, the gun goes off. Why can't I wonder if we can now. Maybe this was like days. a. I don't think it's new technology. I, I think like it's just a re a rethink. I, I like I think they were like ignorant. Oh, uh, like and not to blame IndyCar, but maybe they just didn't care, or didn't think about it, and once once you know these top teams are going, listen, we don't want to burn up our engine trying to qualify a second time because we're not going to be able to get it cooled down. They got together and figured out a solution. I think that solution could work for you know, last chance qualifying in, in years going forward if and when it returns. So I'm going to take the positive angle on this one. So my overall thoughts about the Fast 12 and Fast 6 is that it did create extra drama. I just felt like it was kind of a bit unnecessary because at the end of the day, Dixon still got like Polo and VK swapped positions for the front row. But otherwise, like Dixon waxed him in the first session and then, then he waxed him again. So I'm not sure what exactly it accomplished other than like creating like manufactured drama. So me personally i love the the bumping aspect a little more obviously we didn't have bumping so it's like the best of what we could do with everything but you know next year like i might just watch bumping and then watch the last three of the 12 go or whatever because those are probably going to be the ones that are really contending for pole because i don't know it just didn't interest like the first saturday is always cool and then the initial part of sunday is pretty cool but the run for the pole i don't get as much behind anymore yeah, I'm with you. I uh, the run for the pole has always kind of been the like most anticlimactic part for me watching. But I think this year because the speeds were up so much, it made it a lot more exciting. Um, and also just some of the gnarly saves of the drivers. But the one thing I forgot to mention that I think hurt, and I don't know if you noticed this at the track, Mike, um, but the period between the fast twelve and the fast six created a lot of dead air time on TV for NBC that they needed to fill. Which I mean, they did decently with interviews. Um, 
but I didn't check the exact time on it, but it was a pretty long stretch of time on network TV uh, where you don't have cars on track, which I think kind of. Yeah, it ended up being like 15 minutes and eight minutes was your teams to work on the cars. You definitely notice it standing there, not like you would at home. So like I was, you know, texting my dad, like, okay, five minutes are left, you know, four minutes, like, you know, because their race controls giving the, the countdown on when things are starting. So I, I get the, it's probably a lot more awkward on TV than it is sitting at the track. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that one. Cause it was like, at one point I'm like, well, how much time we have left? Like you almost like forget, even though I had the radio on, like how much time still, still clicking away. Yeah. So don't quote me, but I'm, pretty confident we'll at least have Quote 35 him. entries next year so hopefully it's a little restored and well i just reading the room with like mclaren potentially going to three to four and a couple others potentially wanting to expand i'm pretty confident we can get there so um what light has to be jimmy johnson what was at the your end guys there. favorite save of the week Yeah, that was, I mean, obviously very impressive. Yeah. I think there's something about Sato's run where he didn't necessarily save it, but, you know, brushing the wall and not turning it into a catastrophe. And I actually... And getting in the top 12. I thought that and was And just leaving his cool. foot in it. I... Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you say? Like, the wheel was straight. Didn't so he do that in 2017 okay. as well? Sorry, Mike. I don't remember 2017, but I did get a message from somebody at Coin who said... The right side under tray was split in half, and the arrow piece in front of the wheel was separated from where it should have been by about a quarter inch. And he still laid down 231 mile an hour laps. So you might have you might have reconvinced me because I totally forgot I got that message. Yeah, no, yeah I think in the press conference he was like, "The wheel went straight, him. everything uh, felt fine." So I go, I'm "Like hell yeah, I love you." Full send. <laughs> um, and then, like, obviously, great as hell. But thankfully, we only had one incident this whole week that was causing significant damage. Yesterday. And that was uh, well, yesterday. Dalton Kellett had a crash going into turn one. It looked like a general miscommunication with Grosjean, which I'll touch on in a second. But uh, were we pretty pleasantly surprised we only got out of the week with one crash as the years go on it makes me happier and happier when there's fewer and fewer accidents just because i as i have gotten older i understand the scarcity of the resources that some of these teams have and the thrashing that the teams have to do so i'm always happy when they're not put through that agreed at the same time i'm almost a little glad it something did happen so there's like that reminder for everybody out there like this can happen and you're not at race day and it happens. So it's like, I, I know it still sucks. And that tub might have been a write off looking at how damaged it was, but everybody else now going, okay, can't do that. If the conditions are like this, I can't do that. So might be a benefit, but at the same time, yeah, I do agree. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know if Kellett was there for the autopsy portion of it, but his initial indication seemed like everything was going to be fine. So hopefully, fingers crossed, it's nothing too severe for the Foyt crew. And yeah, I think given the wind speeds of Friday and Saturday and portions of Sunday, I'm amazed that nobody crashed in qualifying, especially when it's more on the line than you would be, you know, trimmed up in, in a group of cars or whatever so the fact that nobody crashed qualifying i thought was pretty incredible so it seems like there's a couple couple of monday practices in a row where we've had an accident occur i'm just trying to remember the exact specific wasn't it dixon last year it seems like there seems to be a tradition of or is it dixon two years ago when he spun on the front stretch coming out of four I mean, I know it happened. I'm positive it happened. I don't yeah, remember if it was that Monday that or yeah. Sunday evening one or, or when it was. But I just know there's been a few. And part of me wonders, is it because when they get back down to the regular boost and they're not so on edge, is there a, you know, a, a slight sense of content with some of the drivers or they're not as on it as they were in qualifying? You know, because you've been doing this all week. It's kind of like, all right, I'm back in practice. Wouldn't I don't shock know. me. Sounds right. I, I mean, you tell me anything, I'd probably believe it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say. If a frog right. had wings, he wouldn't bump uh, his ass every time he hopped. I don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> that is just the best. Uh, all right, before we get to the race preview, yeah, I guess this kind of sort of ties into it. I am very nervous for anybody who's going to be around Romain Grosjean at any point during the race on Sunday. Based on some of the behavior I've seen from him in practice, he's treating some of the straightaway runs into corners like it's the end of the tunnel at Monaco where you can just like outbreak somebody and if you hit him, it's okay because you're significantly reducing your speed and you touch wheels and whatever, but you're under braking. So it's not going to be as catastrophic as a crash. Let's say going into turn one at Indy at 230 miles an hour. So I don't know if you guys uh, noticed anything, but it seems like the, I'd say I probably watched 50% of the practice this week and there were several times where I'm like, Oh, there, yeah, especially when this is Friday run where he almost walled it like three times and the team was finally like, yeah, I think we're done for the day. You, you need to come in now. <laughs> well, it's not, it, not so much that because I get that. You're like pushing the limit by yourself, trying to like maybe do a Q-SIM or whatever. But when you're like cutting people off pretty blatantly or forcing three wide or you know, taking away the inside lane from somebody in practice. Like if someone's going to run on you and you like go to block, like I know he's like practicing to an extent, but there's like times and places for that. And there's things that are just going to come naturally to you once you're in a race environment that you shouldn't be doing in practice. And I just would, I just had my head in my hands hoping that he wasn't going to severely injure somebody in practice. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm looking at the starting grid right now and the drivers that he's around and you have him, Takuma Sato, Will Power, Pato Award, Tony Kanan, all within the same two rows of each other. So you have a lot of very aggressive drivers, some very experienced aggressive drivers, sandwiching Grosjean. So I will be having, <laughs> I will have my eyes on the uh, 
on that third row as they come into turn one on Sunday. Do you think he's going to have the stones to do some sort of Tony Kanan type? Because he is starting ninth on the outside. Is he going to have the stones to do some sort of, of outside bullshittery around the outside? And Absolutely. Oh, I just see that ending so poorly. Also, can we also talk about last year's Indy 500, how that start was very uncomfortable. And if something like that happened again, I wouldn't expect everybody to behave. As in like Scott Dixon leaving it so late <laughs> that they were like, yeah, like a Talladega race coming into turn yeah, one. Yeah, it's pretty scary. I mean, you get one person making a miscommunication, and there's half the field gone before we get to turn one. So I really hope there's some more sorting out of that because you got like the two extremes, <laughs> right? You got Elio who leaves five thousand yards too early and spreads everything out, and then you got what Dixon did last year, which is just make it a rush hour into turn one. Um, so I hope we can clean that up a little bit this year. Um, anything else before we get to the preview? Nope. All right. And well, I'm not weather even, is not a thing. We're not even going to talk about the weather. Let's just not even talk about it. We're not even going to address it. Yep. So come prepared no matter what. No matter how good it may or may not look, just come prepared. Uh, what is everybody's uh, what is everybody's plans? I'm arriving into town Thursday, and yeah. going to Bub's Burgers, caramel, and, and ice cream shop and caramel uh, with host. And I get to meet Frenchie for the first time, and a couple others like Colin might be joining. And I'm gonna have to back out now, brothers. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, it's my first time back in. Oh, it's my first time back to Indianapolis since 2016. So it's been quite a little bit of a, it's probably been the longest gap I've had wow. in my life. It's tied for the longest gap in my life since my first one in 03. So I'm excited to be back and thanks to host for dealing with me. I mean, whatever, whatever you got to do, you get the whole bringing. couch to yourself downstairs here. And trust me, I slept on that couch for the first month I lived here before my furniture arrived it's very comfortable <laughs> no that's when i moved like and like i couldn't like they didn't know where my the rest of my furniture was and you would i would call and they'd be like yo we don't know where your stuff is so there was like a couple weeks where like i was pretty sure i moved and i had no stuff left like no clothes no furniture just the couch and the tv stand that i bought when, once i moved And then lighting, you have an Airbnb, uh, southeast part of the city. If you, I think you did. You text me the address. If I just randomly showed up and played a board game with you or two, would that be okay? Yeah, totally fine. I'm also rolling in Thursday evening. Uh, my plan is probably to head down to Main Street and Speedway and grab a beer. I always like to get one of the uh, Miller Lite milk jugs from Dawson's on Main when I'm in town. So go grab some dinner and a beer maybe on Thursday mm, night. Drunk episode. Yeah, yeah, we need to need some glassware for the drunk episode. Need more of them. Um, but yeah, then checking into the uh, Casa de Southeast <laughs> Indy. Um, this is going to be an interesting Airbnb experience, I think. So I will report back. Because how many views is there? Um, when we booked it, it didn't have any reviews. It now has four reviews. It's brand. It's a brand new renovation. It's old house. 
right off of I-70. Like we're like the backyard butts up to I-70. Um, one of the reviews talked about homeless people knocking on the front door, a cockroach in one of the bedroom drawers. Um, I did reach out to the host and said, hey, there's just some sketchy reviews. Did you do anything to like make sure um, this doesn't happen? Uh, and she was a little offended by that. And she, we did talk about it, but yeah, I'll report back on on said uh, oh, I on can't said wait to stay. hear about this. Um, how many? Oh my god! How many? Eight. How many people are going to be in that? And then I know four people. My some of my family's wow. camping out at. Um, there's a campground right next to Lucas Oil Indy Raceway Park. It's not associated with Lucas Oil, but it's a separate RV campground. Um, so I might spend some time out there as well. Maybe go to the Carb Night race at irp did uh did michelle read those reviews uh yes before i did so i'm not i, I don't want to i don't want to throw anyone under the <laughs> bus but i did not vouch for this airbnb i was trying to stay over on the northwest side of town closer to broad ripple and like this older neighborhood that was full of like retired people i know and i was outvoted because right this us. was closer to downtown i was like guys we're not going here to go to downtown or and if you want to go out anywhere it's definitely so, not downtown i uh i know i know yeah you want to go to frog ripple broad ripple what is it called? i used to stay in noblesville that was real yeah. nice and ritzy i liked it up there i can't answer that for you but Why i'm sure google broad could ripple well neither here yeah nor. I'm uh, here. And then host. Yeah, nobody cares. But we are doing the live show Saturday. You don't have to like fly. Saturday morning with Hunter McElroy. Oh, yeah, live show. The flyer will be out on social media uh, tonight or tomorrow morning. So that's fun. So come, so come say hi. And I give free hugs. So if you want to hug, absolutely. Um. I mean, so yeah, I mean, the race is, uh, it's the race. It's just what we look forward to all year. It's our Super Bowl. And is there, I mean, we're going to do some predictions here in a, in a second, but would you at this point say, oh boy, are you taking Ganassi or are you taking the field? Usually I would say the field, but there's not a Ganassi car that lo- looks bad at all. So. Let's have some fun here. Let's go with I'm going to take Ganassi. My heart says the field. My head Agreed. says Ganassi. Well, my heart told me to randomly reply to this guy on Twitter eight years ago. So I'm going to stick okay. with my heart then and say the field. I I put my faith in the 27 other t- 28 others to to carry the payload for me is there a team and maybe like avoid the usual suspects is there a team that you're pretty nervous for is andretti a usual suspect sunday right no i think andretti would be the one i'm most worried about right now to have good results this weekend I think given where they're starting in the field, Team Penske. Oh. Really? I actually have kind of high hopes for both of them. They're I can be people that carry them or McLaren kind of have to be the ones that carry the load. I think if Penske had all their cars starting 
between rows three and six, I would feel, I guess, all of them but McLaughlin are there. I don't know. I I just hope they can move through the field. I keep thinking it's going to eventually be Joseph's year because the talk's going to start happening about when's he going to get his 500 win. But I just, man, I don't know. 14th is, I know people have won from back there before, but it's harder and harder. I'd say if Penske and Andretti can get through the first stint okay, I would be less worried about them. So that's where I'm going to be at. Like if they can just get clean start, don't get dangled by a pit fuel thing like last year, I think I have kind of hopes for both of them. Um, yeah, I don't. Well, one of the things I could ahead. see happening too is because Ganassi is going to have so many horses in the race. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, because they're going to have so many dogs in the hunt, I'll go with that instead. Uh, I could see them, especially on the first stint, um, kind of switching up the, sh- not drastically, but switching up when they pit if it stays green the entire time. And I could see that potentially splitting up where the Ganassis end up falling, depending on if the over or undercut works. But you have to imagine they're not going to put all their eggs in the same strategy basket. Well, I just hope we don't help people learn their lesson from last year and, and try not to extend the fuel window so far because historically speaking we do get plenty of cautions so that strategy attempt would really only work if it went green the entire race which is so next to impossible that like you shouldn't even entertain the thought so really the the thought of pitting a 29 and losing a little couple laps in the fuel window or pitting on 31 extending the fuel window but if you get a caution you may run out of fuel like there's really no contest there so i really hope teams kind of learn their lesson from last year because that was stupid um, the team I'm nervous about is actually our defending champions, Meyer Shank, because yes, they do have two Indianapolis 500 winning drivers in their team, but they haven't exactly been lighting the candle on fire this month. And Elio's qualifying wasn't that great. And I yeah, mean, we could kind of lump them with Andretti. Like if Andretti's sketchy, then we may as well consider Meyer Shank sketchy. So I don't know. I, um, I don't know. But uh, oh, I think I do know no. this year. I know we should just cancel our plans now. Oh, crap. Plan, cancel the plans now. Go home. Cancel, cancel everything. Doom and gloom. Lighting, next time you fly me, can I attach a balloon to like a part of the plane? We can drop toilet paper from the plane and let it stream down and cut it into tiny pieces. I like that better. There we go. Innovation. Um, do we have anything else that we want to touch on before we get to the predictions? Is there like a favorite moment of the day you guys have when you go to the 500? All of Just it. Just the feeling in the air. Like, yeah. The anticipation. I love the anticipation sometimes more than the race itself. You got to build up. As dumb as that you know, sounds. Getting up at stupid o'clock to beat traffic and you're super tired but then you see people start coming in the cannon going off at 6 a.m and kind of energy coming to the track and then you're like okay i can you know i can power through this day so i always like just just the general like overall energy all morning yeah i feel like the build-up to the race 
feels six times longer than the race itself. Um, but I think the part I'm most, most <laughs> looking forward to is the fact that I don't have to sit through commercials while I'm at the Indy 500. Uh, because that's that's my usual experience as I'm sitting at home watching it. Um, all right. Well, whatever happens, I, uh, I'm really excited for whoever gets to win, whether it's a repeat winner. It would be nice to get a new winner, but I, you know, Speedway picks. So I trust the Speedway to pick the, the correct driver this year. Just hoping everybody gets through yes. safe. I kind of liked our idea last week, host, of uh, picking three and then doing the average. So uh, our qualifying predictions, host had Dixon, Newgarden, Johnson. I had Polo, Erickson, VK. So my average was 3.3 and host's was nine, which isn't anything to frown at. Yeah, you, you just, just you I hit the jackpot. had a very good time. So I kind of like that. We're going to do that again, but we're just going to do uh, – pick a driver and best average finish wins um we're gonna do a snake draft starting with host our first two picks can be anybody we just can't repeat so if host says okay, i will Milan take first, we can't take Calum alex blow that was my all right i will take marcus erickson Man, I did not see it going this direction. Um, Choose wisely. Damn it. Remus VK. All right, and then we're snaking, so Lightning, you get to go again. Scott Dixon. And I will say Pat. Take Carpenter. And then last pick, somebody who's 20, starting 20th or worst. So that would be uh, Rossi, Ray Hall, Karam. Rossi, Ray Hall, Karam, Andretti, DeFrancesco, Herta, McLaughlin, Elio, Kirkwood, Kellett, Montoya. I McLaughlin. <laughs> Again, taking who I would have picked, so I appreciate that that i will say <laughs> heard of damn it and there's one guy back there that can do it it's him um just because what was that not marco no not marco um fine i'll go right on the cusp uh alexander rossi there we go eagerly await who out of us wins because <laughs> i already know i wasted 10 bucks on lighting's parlay bet or whatever yeah his, uh, shout out if bet. anyone wants to get in the uh greatest spectacle and prop bets hit me up at delight underscore 47 on twitter say that ten dollars to get in can't win it if you don't get in it oh, okay you say that I've been uh, I've lost every single year. In case you're wondering, how many people did uh, it last 40, year? Twenty seven. Forty entrants last year. The winner oh, took geez. home two hundred and seventy five dollars. Never lost a winner. Got a better record than the FBI. We'll be sure to find you if you win. <laughs> well, on that note, that was fantastic. Again, live show Saturday. We're all in town. All five of us. So say hello at some point. 
and everybody have a lovely weekend of racing. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.